Again, welcome back. If anybody wants to come up in front, we've got some beautiful brown cushions here. And a, a person in front of you who doesn't like to be alone. <laughs> in fact, I, I always feel so far away, I, I'm tempted to try to come down, but it's too much moving of stuff. So anyway, we know we're connected, so we'll live in that reality. So um, as you know, um, I'm obviously a singer and a songwriter, and I find that poetry and song and art have so much dharma in them. There's so much wisdom and teachings that come through in very compact ways. So I'm bringing you a little bit of of dharma tonight through song. I'm not going to actually do a lot of songs uh, because I want to do some things together that hopefully that will give you a chance to Access your own Dharma wisdom because, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh says that the next Buddha will be the Sangha and that this is a very much a collective time. It's a, really the time, as the Hopi prophecy says, this is not the time of the lone eagle. This is a time when we all hold hands and jump into the river together. And um, so I'm interested in your experience around some questions that I've been thinking about. I opened tonight 
with uh, singing Welcome to the Circle. How far have you come? Do you need some company, a candle and a song? Are you feeling weary, tired of being strong? Welcome to this circle. It's a place where you belong. I wrote this many years ago in the early days of the AIDS epidemic, where a whole community, a whole country, but communities within our country were being hit by something they'd never seen before, that never happened before. They didn't know what it was. They just saw beloved people sickening and dying mysteriously. And so there was this sense of shock and horror and mystery and that awful feeling when something's going very wrong and you don't know what it is. So there was this huge rallying of energy of, of lovers and family and caregivers and medical people and social workers and everybody just rising up to try to do what, what they could. And no one knew what they were dealing with, so no one knew that it was not a sprint, it was a marathon. And so people were burning out and becoming terribly tired, depressed, frightened. So a very wise uh, Catholic priest put on a, a conference for caregivers, a healing co- a conference for, about healing the healers. And he asked me to sing at it, and this is the song I wrote for that. Do you have a burden that feels too much to bear? Do you have a bitterness you don't know how to share? Do you get too angry to breathe or laugh or pray? There's no one in this circle that has never felt this way. So in the last year, we've kind of been hit with something that we didn't expect. There's been a huge change in our country, at least on the visible level, on the tangible, visible, governmental, collective level. And I think probably there's no one in this room, no matter where you stand on the spectrum of how you, how you experience this, who does not feel that they're living in a somewhat different country than they thought they were living in before. So I've been thinking about this year because the election, it's the first anniversary kind of of the election, and um, kind of th- reflecting a little on what's got me through, what got me through this year? What, did I, what capacities did I have to draw on that I didn't expect? What rude awakenings to my own delusion, my own illusions about my own country and myself, my place in it, were shown to me. Um, what Dharma teachings and what practices came rushing to the fore, or, do, or maybe not rushing, maybe they just seeped up and I noticed, wow, I'm really using a lot of equanimity these days, you know. Or I'm needing to do more metta than I've ever needed to do in my life, for myself, for my country, for whoever. So I want to share a song with you that has I just came to me the other day. I was sort of thinking that I wanted to go into this with you all a little bit this year about kind of how are you doing. I have a, I, sorry, this thing and I don't get along real well. I think I, have, I told Ernie, I have funny-shaped ears. They just don't seem to... I think they're for people with elf ears. I need a little hook. Okay, we'll see how that goes. But anyway, I, so I was singing this song the other day, one of my songs, because I just love it so much. And, and as I sang it, I thought, wow, this has 
a lot of what I wanted to talk about tonight in it. So I thought I would just sing it, and then we can talk about it together, um, the song a little bit, what, what's in it for you. It's called Prayer. This is how I'd like my life to be To live as trusting as a leaf on a tree Let the seasons take good care of me This is how I'd like to be To not be fearful of the falling down Not cling too tightly my time comes round Gladly sink into the winter ground Knowing the best of me Will come back around This is how I'd like my life to be To be a ripple On a midnight sea Let the mighty waves wash over me This is how I'd like to be To not be fearful of the ebb and flow To kiss the shore And then to let it go Rise up to the sky when warm winds blow Come back down again in flakes of snow This is how I'd like my life to be To find my music and to set it free Open up to all the harmonies This is what I'd like to be To not be fearful of the wounded throat To sing the beauty of the broken note Trust my breath and let the song unfold Risk it all And let the truth be told. This is how I'd like my life to be. Just sitting here right now. You and me, a little moment in eternity. This is how I'd like to be to live as trusting as a leaf on a tree, to be a ripple on a midnight sea, and open up to all the harmony. 
So I, th- I would love to just share with you a few of my thoughts about um, the helpful teachings in especially those of the first two verses about the leaf falling and the, the ripple being lost in the sea. And then invite you to reflect within yourself quietly for a bit about your own, what you're drawing from, from these, the teachings in those verses. And also what capacities in you were awakened this year. What, um, what lettings go were required of you this year. What kinds of trust did you have to fall, to kind of access this year? What did it feel like to be part of a mighty wave rushing over us, being part of something so big that had forces, causes, and conditions from such ancient karma in our country that we little ripples could, could felt sometimes that there was really very little we could do but try to let the mighty wave wash over us. And um, so anyway, just some things to think about as I, I just say a few things. Um, I think one of the, the um, very interesting things about the, the three characteristics of impermanence, non-solid, Identity, non-solid matter, uh, form, self. And the suffering, the dukkha that comes from wanting a world where things are solid and real and stay the same and don't change unless we want them to change. And um, I think in, in, in for me, it's been a year of experiencing a lot of loss, the loss of... Uh, uh, some, 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 some things I thought were solid in this country. Now, I should know better. I should know better, shouldn't we all? But I think we're so human and we're so embodied that solid stuff looks like solid stuff. So there was kind of an idea about America that I had, kind of an idea about how well we were doing in some ways under the Obama um, era and how things were you know, getting better in many ways. And it's not that they weren't. But it's just that there were so many more causes and conditions swirling around underneath all that that were um, a little harder for at least those of us who were fairly comfortable in this country, had enough privilege that we were you know, not feeling the, the, the brunt of the racism and the classism and the economic greed and the, the, the corporate monopolies. We were distressed about it. We were engaged by it. But personal impact, and I don't want to speak for all of us, but I, I just want to, as a general thing, talk about the, the general sense of comfort that I think many of us in this room have had. So we had a, a pretty rude awakening and, um, about how quickly things could turn and how many forces that were much more overt in the racism and the misogyny and sexism and the economic greed. And, you know, there were plenty of, of people in, in our country who kind of looked askance at, at me and my white skin and, and my middle-class life and said, well, welcome to my world, you know, for people of color, 
for poor people, for immigrants, for you name it, you know, trans, LGBTQ. Um, this was not as much of a surprise to see the unveiling of some of the factors swirling around in this culture. So I have a friend. Um, and, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll back up for a minute. I think there's also a solidification that's very um, you, that we do very easily around kind of who voted this way and why, and you know the the kind of image of the voter that thought Trump was the greatest thing that could happen. And we've been learning a lot about that if if we've been paying attention. People have been going out into the heartland and kind of bringing back some more nuanced views of why people voted as they did and the kind of disenfranchisement that that was being experienced by working class people and poor people. Um, And I have a friend named Tony who's a really good listener, super good listener. It's what she does best. And many people have been saying, oh, I wish I knew how to talk to people who differ from me. I don't, I don't really know how to do that without getting all upset and you know, wanting to convince them. And I want to learn more how to do that. Well, Tony's really good at that. And um, she was talking to a friend about wishing she could learn more about people in the heartland who voted for, for this, this administration. And her friend said, well, I've got family out in Kansas or somewhere. You want to talk to some of the women in that family? And Tony said, yeah, I'd love to. So she set up, she got talking on the phone with women in red states. And um, the kind of ground rule that she created for the conversation was no politics in the first conversation. We're just women talking to women, finding out about each other, because she was curious, which is a very, very good quality to have, is curiosity. Instead of knowing, what do I, what do I need to know? And um, this, and then the women enjoyed the conversation so much they began to call, have more conversations, and then they wanted their friends to talk to her. And Tony has ended up talking to over a hundred women around the country, having these conversations about who they are and what they care about, and then eventually getting into why they voted as they voted. And I tell you this because what Tony discovered, and this is so valuable for me to be reminded of this was that there were, there's not one monolithic reason why anybody did what they did in this election. There was so many factors for these women. There was the church. There was the church that the whole town went to where, the, where from the pulpit what was said was said and everybody was on board with it. And when you're in a small town, community pressures, um, you know, your friends, how they feel. How, and then there's the husband, you know, in these very traditional marriages where the husband is the final authority and the woman, you know, kind of has her place in relation to that. But what was so beautiful about these conversations was that just by listening and just by having a very friendly but honest dialogue about, oh, well, how do you feel about this? Here's what I've been thinking about. And that the women um, began to reveal their doubts and their concerns about about the whole thing, that they weren't completely happy with how things were going. And they were uncomfortable, and they were not at ease. And so within the kind of solidification of the heartland and the red state are these very nuanced people, of course, who have so many different motives and have hesitancies and concerns. So I just you know, have been really noticing how I tend to solidify around a view, an opinion of someone else, who I am, who they are. 
and how there's a kind of that false security in that. And I think a lot of that is getting shaken up in these times, I find. Do you find that? Experiencing any of this kind of destabilization of what you thought was true and kind of fixed and real about you and about other people. So one place where I'm finding some hope, as speaking of the falling leaves, is that I'm of a generation where we're kind of in that falling leaf phase of life. And it's hard to let go. I'm a boomer, and we were hot stuff. I mean, we kind of ran the show for a long time, in a, you know, kind of in terms of setting the, the cultural uh, tone. And um, it's, it's, not, it's not easy to feel a little obsolete or a little like, okay, you know, we're, our time is kind of passing and there's new stuff coming up. But when I look at my son, um, the next, you know, coming up and having to live into this, and how the millennials, his generation, is just really kind of clearly standing in some different soil. You know, he's, he's going to be a farmer. He's doing all this permaculture, organic farming, cutting-edge soil restoration, uh, carbon sequestration. I mean, stuff that could save the planet, literally, if enough people did it. And I'm so excited about that, you know, and I'm so excited about becoming the compost, being the leaf that goes to the ground and is just creating as much fertile soil for him as possible and trusting that this next generation is coming in with what they need to handle what's going on right now. And some of us who are kind of, have kind of at a different part of the arc can be compost for them. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. That's, that's a good thing to do. To not be fearful of the ebb and the flow. You know, the day of, of the morning of the election, I was sort of processing it. And I had been traveling. I'm going to tell you a little more about that later. I had been traveling in Asia and in Africa. And I went to so many countries that have had disastrous political upheavals, dictatorships, revolutions, bloody conflicts. I was in Liberia, bloody, bloody civil war under a mad dictator. And... Um, I thought, you know, there's an ebb and a flow to every government, every empire, every government. You know, nothing stays the same. Why did I think that America would always be some sort of version of democracy or some sort of version of a a rational society? I pray that it does, but there's no guarantee. You know, other countries have overnight been taken over by a military coup, and life as people knew it changed forever. We're, you know, we're not exempt. And that's the kind of don't take it personally part. That's the other part of the anatta, the, the not personal, is um, I'm not an exception. You're not an exception. You know, whatever happens anywhere in the world could happen to any of us. And that's such a degree of, of instability in a way and vulnerability that we can hardly bear it, right? Anything to block it out because it's extremely vulnerable. And, of course, that's why we need each other. And we'll, we'll get to that, too. So, kiss the shore, to kiss the shore and then to let it go. Thank heavens we have moments where there is a shore, where there is some solid ground, where we have a moment of like, oh, I'm resting in a place I know and I feel safe. Singing is like that for me. That's a shore for me. That's a touchstone. Um, I'm sure you have moments actions, just feelings that are like, this is real. Whatever else is unreal, this is real. So, so what I'd like to do is, um, if a few of you could help me, I want to pass out the lyrics to this song. And um, I'm going to give a stack to you. 
and a stack to somebody over here, and um, maybe a stack a little further back. Because I'd like you to have these words, and if you want to, um, if you want to, you can get out a pen or something. Because I'd like to just take a few moments for you to reflect on the first two verses. And with those questions, really, I mean, don't, we don't, I don't want to fixate on the verses so much in a way because I, what I want is for you to just go into your dharmic wisdom self and think about how the ebbs and the flows, the mighty wave, the letting go, the trust, the need for trust, the possibility of letting things not be solid, And of how that's been for you this year. And I was thinking too, I'll say one more thing about the paramis. The, the, some qualities that we draw on for um, meeting life in a, a whole and a healthy way. And I'll just read them very quickly to you, and just because some of them might stand out for you. It's like, oh, yeah, I really needed that this year. I really used that this year. Generosity, morality, ethical behavior, renunciation, doing with less letting go of things. Wisdom and insight. Energy. Especially courageous energy. Patience and acceptance. Truthfulness. Determination. Loving kindness. Equanimity. when you, you know, feel you've accessed some truth for yourself, just turn to someone next to you and just share just a word or two about one quality that you've drawn on this year or that's been required of you or some teaching that has really helped you get through.
Just a little moment of, of Sangha connection here. Just anyone nearby, just say hello and maybe your name and just move closer together. You know, we're, we, we need community, my dears. <laughs> These are, take, a look, take a look at each other and just have a little conversation for a moment. You can do threes if that's easier. <laughs> Let me take one more minute, one more minute, and find a place to stop. Oh. Sort of feel like just letting it go. You're all just engaged, and the room's full of energy, and it's wonderful. I'm so glad that that we did that. I think one of the um, interesting things about about um, upheavals and earthquakes of all kinds, physical and political and whatnot, is that there's certainly an element of suffering and an element of shock and, and of negativity, but it also releases energies and kind of awakenings that can be very very much a gift. There's a beautiful book called um, Paradise Built in Hell by Rebecca Solnit, who's a wonderful, wonderful political writer and Buddhist. Do you know this book? Oh, Paradise Built in Hell. It is a fabulous book. She studied, she studied something like seven disasters. Uh, you know, the San Francisco earthquake early in the century, um, Katrina, the Halifax explosion in Nova Scotia, several others, I'm not going to remember them now, but she was studying how people respond when their lives are just suddenly uprooted and torn apart. And it was so interesting how a very common theme was that the way people rushed to become community and to help each other and to set up soup kitchens in parks during the San Francisco earthquake and to get out in their boats in Katrina and that humanity found their humanity And that when it began to be over and things began to go back to normal, people were saying, I miss it so much. Why can't we always live this way? And they talked about a profound joy at finally being engaged at the human level that happens when our knowing mind, our social constructs, our solidity gets shaken apart. And you think, oh my God, it's awful, I'm falling apart. But actually it's kind of wonderful, you know? (laughs) So my question, I have a quick question for you and then I'm going to go on to the rest of the song. But think for a minute about, was there a gift for you in the upheavals of this year, the changes of this year? Something, was something given to you out of this that you might not have found otherwise? Does anyone have anything they could just share, you know, just in a word or two about that question or any of the other questions? What did you draw on this year? What got you through what teachings help, that kind of thing. Love to just hear a little bit of what we call popcorn from the from the room, if you wouldn't mind. But, you know, brief. Yeah. Sorry, I've I've just started to notice more immediately when um, a blessing, just the blessings that show up in my life, and they can be really really tiny. It could be. It could be the, you know, the caterpillar that's going to be a butterfly on my 
my plant in the front, or it could just be like I'm noticing the way the sun is shining right at that moment. Um, and I'm just really much more in tune with those things. And realizing that um, it's the community, it's the people around me, and noticing that, and, and I've noticed that just my immediate community has really come together a lot more strongly this past year. We need each other so much more. And um, that helps me block out the other noise that is almost unbearable sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. It's sort of like you have to know what channel to tune in on. We have to be quite mindful about that because there's a lot of static. So I'm tuning into the really just like personal in myself and um, my family and community. Beautiful. Thank you. Someone else. Thank you. This is great. Um, the gift that, that this has given me is uh, the, the, the necessity of change. I have to, or is, is growth. I have to grow. Uh, with all the other upheaval, I, I'm out of work for the first time in my life in my right. 50s. And uh, so I'm confronted with all that that entails. And, uh, you know, the gift didn't come with a gift receipt. I can't return it. I kind of have to, kind of have to play it out. And it's scary as hell. This is true. And the, you know, the <laughs> doubt and aversion are are, are palpable. Uh, the other thing I'd like to share though is that, uh, to your first point, um, uh, my daughter is fourteen, and uh, the other morning we're doing our morning thing, and I don't know what brought it up, but uh, she she really stopped me in my tracks because she was talking about, you know, people who you know, kind of on the other side of the political spectrum and and made the point that, you know, they're not evil. They're just believing what they believe and, you know, you know they have their perspective. And, you know, you know, my first reaction was just, I was just so, you know, she really stopped me in my tracks because it was just so great to hear from her. You know, I had the proud parent moment. But then I had a really hard time, uh, you know, with an answer because, you know, I got what she said, but I have such a hard time with, uh, you know, what she said was so true, but there's there's a level of, of, of disinformation and disingenuous manipulation that underlies so much of that, and it's very hard for me to address that, you know, in my dharma and not have mm-hmm. anger and resentment and and othering, and so it was really, uh, it was really a moment. It seems to really up the ante on our practice. You know, they, they, there's a wonderful expression, you know, I'll meditate as if your hair was on fire. Our hair is on fire. <laughs> Good. Maybe one more? One more? Anybody got a, a little short thing they could share? Really loving this. This is great. There, over in back there? If you, unless there was, was there someone here? No. Sure. Uh, mine happened last year. I had a very bad work relationship with a person who was really a bully. And I just found myself obsessing over it all the time in my head. And I, I got to the point where I would realize that and I would just stop, like physically, if I were walking down the street or typing, I would just stop and just kind of cut off, the, like acknowledge the thought and mm-hmm. then cut it off and mm-hmm. think about something else. Mm-hmm. And I had to do that about 10 million times right. over the right. course of several months. Yes. And it finally worked <laughs> after, after a yeah. lot of practice. Yeah. But now I know that trick. And so when I get up in the morning, I look at the news and, and, or I, I watch one of those late-night comedy shows, which are meant to be funny and meant to put you in a good mood, and they don't anymore. Uh, 
Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now when I find myself getting into that angry and, and, and kind of helpless kind of mind frame, I can recognize it and stop it and think about something else and then try to channel the energy into something productive. There you go. That's the practice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. I, I remember being so distressed in January of this year. Um, I felt like I have to do something, and I was given this amazing opportunity to volunteer for a beautiful, a wonderful organization that um, does legal work to help uh, people get, gain political asylum in this country. And so I've been volunteering there um, for a year now, almost a year. And it's been a beautiful gift in my life. And I don't think I would have taken that opportunity um, if, 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 our, if the president had not been elected. And uh, so it, that has ended up being a, a lot of um, yeah, a gift for me, real enrichment mm-hmm. in my life, my, and a terrific act of generosity, which gives me so much. Yes. Right, so there's the parami of generosity indeed, yeah. So we've heard um, community, intimacy, kind of the turning toward the heart, the the heart connections, really valuing them more. And I'm also hearing watching out for the static, for the the anger, the the stuff that is, it's not that there's anything wrong with it, it's totally normal, but how it can sweep us away and, and, and go round and round and round. And there's a certain discipline of practice of, around thinking, and that we all kind of you know know about in different ways, different ways to acknowledge the thought, but not let the thought run us into the ground, you know. And then turning toward the beautiful, the, the loving, the, the the ways to connect with others. Um, are, it's so healing. It's meta in action. Um, thank you. I mean, we could do this all night. This is there's so much wisdom, so much experience among us. But a little more music. How about that? Yeah, okay, because this, this next verse is really, really important to me, and I've got a few things to say about it. Okay, why don't you sing with me, or hum? This is the one um, about find my music, the third verse, if you care to. And just otherwise, just listen, just soak it in. This is how I'd like my life to be, to find my music and to set it free. Open up to all the harmony This is how I'd like to be To not be fearful of the wounded throat To sing the beauty of the broken note Trust my breath and let the truth unfold Risk it all and let the truth be told. Yeah, that was nice to hear you sing. So this verse is so important to me, obviously, because it's about music, but it's about, at the end of the day, listening deep enough to hear the voice we most need to hear. You know, And that means, again getting below the static, getting below the conditioned stories from childhood, below the shoulds and the you're too old and the you're too 
of this, to do that, you know, and just listening, listening. And, um, and one of the beauties of getting broken open by circumstances changing, because all of us are constructed out of causes and conditions. My husband and I have talked many times about what good lives we have and what good work we're able to do in the world. And we're pretty darn high functioning. Thank you. You know, but we are so aware that if they took away our house, if they took away our electricity, if they took away our status, our, our white skin or whatever, if they took away so many causes and conditions, how, how, how terrific would we be? You know, what, what do we have at the core? I think that's just a, a vital question of how much of what makes us function well is the circumstances that support that functioning well. So um, I, what I want to tell you, um, just I have to make it very brief, but I went out looking for an earthquake in my life a couple of years ago. I had a very classic midlife feeling. Some of you, I hope, will re- resonate to this. A feeling kind of stuck. And like the old has passed away, I don't want to do the work I used to do, I'm not, I don't have a passion for what I used to have a passion for, and the world doesn't seem to have much passion for me either, you know. And yet the new has not emerged, I don't have a fresh new thing I want to do. And I was kind of lost, I felt lost, which is not typical of me, I always have a mission, I always have the next big plan. And those are my, that's how I put ground under my feet is Betsy's next big plan. Well, I didn't have another big plan and I didn't feel like Betsy anymore. So I was experiencing a real, that loss of solid self. And I went on retreat at Spirit Rock, bless it, and I was walking on a hillside. And in retreat, you know, it gets pretty darn quiet. And all you've got is your thoughts. And it's kind of illuminating to realize what you're thinking about and what repeats over and over and over for three or four days. And I could not help but notice that my thoughts were negative, depressed, defeated, and not very hopeful. And I just had something in me, some fire came into me, like, no, you are not that old. This is not time to wrap it up. There is more for you to do in this world. You're only 64, for goodness sake, you know, or whatever I was. And that just this upsurging of, of um, fire against that kind of energy, that kind of dead energy. And I got this call to leave the country, leave my marriage, not permanently, but leave the marriage, leave the home, leave all those familiar structures that told me who I am and both held me and trapped me and see who I was out in a different set of causes and conditions. So I went off alone for eight months to Asia, Africa, and Europe. And I took my guitar and I was singing with women and children in those countries. Europe was a little more just enjoying speaking English for a little while and stuff. Um, And I had so many experiences that showed me that my worldview, that I was in a paradigm of a Western mind, an American mind, and that um, it was quite limited. And I feel like whatever we're all going through now in America with kind of our old ideas and our old thoughts being kind of shaken up, is what people go traveling for, looking for, in a way. It's what I went looking for. And I want to just tell you one of the many stories from my trip that I just, I just love this story for some reason because I think it really cuts me to where I, I am um, vulnerable to being a little rigid. So I was riding a train in India, which they say you shouldn't do, first of all, as a woman. Don't ride the trains. But other people said, don't worry about it. Just get, what was it, first class air conditioned or second class air conditioned. There was some class you got where you had a bed and you had a, a curtain and a little bit of privacy. And they did, anyway, I did it. 
I, the point is I did it. And I was very comfortable. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed all of my travels in Asia and Africa so much. So I'm in my little bed, and I'm not sleeping yet. I'm doing whatever. And there's a, a stop, and some new people come on the train. And a very large man walks in, looks at my little cabin. I have a, somebody above me. I have a man above me in the upper bunk. That's how it is. And he sat down at the foot of my bed and put his suitcase in my, in my space, my space. Even that is a very Western American idea, a private space. Not, a, not the whole world doesn't all have private space. <laughs> and Asia and Africa, it's, it's not quite so privatized. So I'm thinking, what is this dude doing at the foot of my bed? You know, and if I was in on Amtrak and a guy did this, you know, I would I would take care of myself. You know, you don't you don't invade a woman's space like that. You know, so I was kind of building up this thing, you know, of like this is, you know, he's taking up space because he's a man. And um, but I also had been on the road enough to know that there's always more than meets the eye, and that I would be very sad if I came out with something critical or whatever, I would be sorry because there's always more to the story. So anyway, I just sat with it. I sat with it and I worked. I said, boy, you are really having a lot of feelings and they're based in American definitions of feminism, of private space, of male behavior, just a lot of stuff. Just keep breathing, you know, just kind of... So there was that little bit of distance on the goldfish was had a little distance from the water that she usually swims in. And I was saying, but I, but I still felt uncomfortable. It was so odd to me that this was happening. And I didn't know when it was going to end. What if I want to go to sleep and this guy's sitting on my bed? So I thought, I've got to say something. What am I going to say? And I don't know where this came from, but I really like what I said. <laughs> so I said, um, excuse me, I noticed that you're sitting on my bed. Just statement of fact, right? <laughs> Neutral. I noticed that you're sitting on my bed. And I don't know why. And it was like, okay, those are two true statements that are just kind of open-ended true statements. And he laughed and he said, and he said, oh man, he said I, I came on and I, I my ticket, I have a ticket for the uh, the top bunk, but that man is not getting off till the next stop. And that's what they do a lot in India is they double they double book things. They just sell tickets and then people have to sort it out. And it just we burst into laughter. It was just so fun, you know, to realize, oh. This is totally innocent. This is just the way things are. No evil intention. And how glad I was that I didn't act on that impulse coming out of just my own world, my own worldview. And that kind of thing happened over and over, where I saw something a certain way, and then I just waited and breathed and watched and, and, or asked questions, asked questions, and learned. I learned so much more. And it just was very humbling in a good way. I mean, that was the gift of beginner's mind. I really didn't know. Most of what I knew, I really didn't know. You know, And most of what was fun was what was completely unexpected and out of the box and so forth. There are things, too, that just about how we solidify things into a reality based on a perception and on a preconception. A really interesting example of this was during the Charlottesville... Um, uh, rally, white nationalist rally and all the violence and things that happened around that. Uh, there were lots of photographs taken, and there was a kind of iconic photograph that was put out on a lot of papers. And it was a young African American man holding a, a soda can that was like a Molotov cocktail soda can, and like being ready to throw it. 
So, you know, we look at a picture like that and we think, oh, violent youth, you know, and Antifa and, you know, people are out of control and, and probably some racist thoughts as well, whether we like it or not. You know, we just, there's a certain thing that we do with these images. Well, I heard this young man interviewed on, um, I think it was Reveal, that great radio show with Al Letson from the Center for Investigative Journalism. And the story, the backstory, because there's always a backstory in a picture. You know, there's a picture frozen, and there was always something that happened before it that we don't see. And there's always something that happens after that we don't see. So the story was that this young man was out with his friends to, to be there and to kind of be part of everything. And there was an elderly white man up on the top of some capital steps or a city building steps, and there was a lot of stuff going on. There was rocks being thrown, and or people... The, somebody was throwing rocks at him. Anyway, he was scared. So this young man and his friends were going to help him, and they had helped him down the stairs and were trying to kind of get him off to a safer place. And someone threw this soda can into their midst or near them, and it didn't explode. So the young man picked it up to get rid of it and throw it away. And that was the photo- photograph that we saw, right? You know, And I have... Other stories, I've heard so many interesting stories about these photographs that we look at that we think, oh, well, that's, that's what that says about them. And then you find out the backstory. So just precious lessons in how to not believe everything we think, right? And that beautiful question of, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh, I've, I've done it again, I'm such a this, and then that little, little question we're supposed to ask, is that true? That's a great question to ask about just about everything when I believe something, when I think I know what's going on. Is that true? You know? And then the last piece I wanted to say about this verse is the wounded throat and the broken note. Because that's what's happening right now with women speaking out. This absolute floodgate of silenced voices and wounded voices that are just finally singing the beauty of the broken note. And one of the gifts of this time I feel, for all of us, is this is the time to listen to the wounded throats and the broken notes, to listen to the people who've been marginalized, the people who've been silenced. It's very, it's powerful, it's healing. We need it. I need to hear the experiences of my fellow Americans, my fellow humans, without being defensive, without feeling like it's my fault. That's, that's like, forget that. Just Let's just listen, you know. And... Um, So I want to ask you another question, just briefly. What have you been listening to in yourself a little more deeply in these times? Especially just around this particular sexual harassment thing, for the women here, has the whole Me Too moment been a moment for you? Have you been remembering things? Have you been thinking about things that happened to you that you might not have thought of quite this way? And, for, and men, I know, because I've talked to men who are thinking back and thinking, wow, I wonder if that thing I did or that way I was, I wonder if that was more hurtful than I realized. I wonder if I did harm that I didn't really want to look at. This is a very precious moment when courageous people and that, you know, risk it all and let the truth be told. The risk that these women are taking and it's painful to watch their suffering, hear their suffering, and to watch the suffering of men who were caught up in the system, in a system that allowed this kind of behavior, 
and are now paying a, a price. This is a time, I think, in our country where a lot of chickens are coming home to roost. 500 years of racism is coming home, you know, really coming to, to be grappled with. White people are really being asked, and many of us are being willing to look at white privilege much more deeply than we ever have. It's a very powerful moment. I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited about what's happening with gender and gender relations. It's long overdue. Aren't we lucky? Aren't we lucky that this layer of civility and this layer of everything's really okay as long as you're this color and this whatever is being peeled off? You know, Not to be Pollyanna, but there is a gift. <laughs> there's always a gift. And there's always more will be revealed. We're part of an evolving, evolving story. You know, that leaf that falls to the ground has faith that it'll come back around in some new way, you know. And, um, so the parami of faith, the parami of trust, that this moment, this could be worst moment we've ever known, is just a moment. It's already passing. It's already on its way to the next causes and conditions arising the next. Um, we were talking, I was talking with my husband before we came over about the thousands of women that are, have decided to run for electoral office because of this. You know, there's always unintended outcomes. <laughs> so take your music and let's sing the last verse together. This is how I'd like my life to be Just sitting here right now with you and me A little moment in eternity This is how I'd like to be To live as trusting as a leaf on a tree To all the harmonies, this is how I'd like to be. So that first really brings us right to what you shared about the intimate, sweet moments of connection and presence. You know, when all else seems lost, presence is always the right thing, isn't it? There's nowhere else to go but here. Why not? Why, let's be here, you know, and let's be here together. This is, if ever there was a time for opening up to all the harmonies among us and um, being vulnerable together, that's saving grace. You know, I always think about what's, what is it never a mistake to do, you know, because I can be self-righteous, I can have opinions, I can make a million mistakes in this world. But I always come back to it's never a mistake to love. It's never a mistake to have compassion. It's never a mistake to be present. It's never a mistake to reach for the humanity and the connection with each other. Don't you think? Any, anything else you want to add to that in the pool of what it's never a mistake to do or be? It's a big... Love is never wasted. Love is never wasted. Amen.
More? It's never a mistake to be curious. To be kind. Mm. Mm. To be empty. Ah. It's never a mistake to let go (laughs) and let emptiness be. There are those who try to set fire to the world. We are in danger. There is only time to move slowly. There is no time not to love. There is only time to move slowly. There is no time not to They are words, our songs, our voices, our prayers, our wisdom and our grief, our hopes, and our deep connections to that which we love and cherish. May all of these beautiful qualities and all the others unnamed Rise and ripple and travel on the winds and touch every heart of every living being and the earth herself. So good to be with you. Thank you. Blessed blessings on all of you. Um, I will say the two songs that I sang tonight are on the white CD, if you're interested. And um, hope to see you again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.